This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bible turn to the book of Romans, chapter number two, if you would, this morning. If you have the uh, Who We Call app, you can follow along uh, with the notes there or the notes that our ushers passed out this morning. Either way, uh, jot some thoughts down as we go through this passage of Scripture this morning. We find ourselves in Romans chapter two, verse number seven. Uh, and if you were to just take a look at uh, a couple of these verses by themselves as standalone verses, you might walk away a little bit confused. Uh, and so we'll take a, a little bit deeper dive into what uh, these verses mean this morning as we take a look at them. Uh, Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 1. We're going to read through verse number 11. We're really spending uh, the bulk of our time on verses 7 through 11. Just to give you a reminder of the context of this, chapter 2 takes a little bit of a turn in the fact that Paul begins to address the Jewish believers that are at the church at Rome here. Many of the Jewish believers felt like they were Jews, and so they had a special relationship with God. Uh, They didn't need grace. They didn't need Jesus Christ. Uh, They were good already, uh, but Paul reminds them in this passage of Scripture, hey, Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs forgiveness of their sin. It uh, doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. Uh, you need Jesus. And so we'll take a look at that this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 1, read through verse number 11 this morning. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. We're sure that the judgment of God, according to truth, is against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render every man according to his deeds. Verses 7 through 11 is where we'll take a, our, spend most of our time here today. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul that doeth evil, of the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first, and also unto the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons. Now this could be a little bit confusing if you just took a snapshot of a couple of these verses and only looked at them. For example, verse number 7 says, if we are in patient continuance and seek for the glory and honor and immortality, we'll get eternal life. Uh, Verse number uh, 10 tells us, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good. And so it's almost, we can almost ask ourselves the question, can good works save? Because according to this, hey, if you want eternal life, it's about doing good works. Uh, it's about seeking after that which is right. And for those people that do wrong, there's God's punishment that's coming for them. The issue here with this passage of Scripture is not that an issue with the, the Scripture, it's an issue, issue with interpretation. Uh, if you want to go down a rabbit hole of study on the Bible sometime, uh, write down the word hermeneutics. Uh, hermeneutics deals with how we uh, study Scripture, how we compare Scripture with Scripture, how we look at context, uh, who it was written to, the surrounding verses around it, uh, as well as the totality of Scripture. Because if we just take one particular verse out of context, we can almost make it say anything that we want it to. Uh, I came across this funny uh, picture on the internet uh, during Christmas time last year. Of evidently, it was a banner that was hung in some uh, store somewhere selling Christmas merchandise. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. That's not very inspirational if you know who said it. Uh, if you, for those of you that don't know the context, King Herod wanted to murder baby Jesus. And so he tricked 
the wise men and told them, hey, go and find this baby so that I can come and worship him too. Meanwhile, he had a great desire to actually murder Jesus instead. And so again, we look at that and we're like, oh, that's a cute little banner for Christmas time. Until you look at the context of it, uh, it was actually uh, spoken by a man who desired to murder a baby uh, and actually ended up murdering children uh, as a result of it because he couldn't find uh, the Messiah child. So again, Context is always key. So when we study the Bible, we need to first of all say, hey, what's the context of this? What are the verses before it? What are the verses after it? Uh, also, what does the totality of Scripture say? We can't just look at, take a look at one particular verse. We have to look at the rest of the Bible as well. Uh, we can't build a single doctrine on one particular verse. Uh, for example, Peter tells people to repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. And some people have taken that and go, bam, that right there, you have to be baptized to be saved. Uh, well, what about the rest of Scripture? Uh, what about the rest of the Bible? It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you're saved. It doesn't uh, talk about baptism at all. Uh, is baptism necessary for salvation? Well, if you only look at one particular verse and exclude the rest of the Bible, maybe so. But when you look at the totality of Scripture as a whole, you can't walk away with that. And so the idea here in this verse, if someone were to challenge you and say, hey, look at this verse here. This verse says that you can be saved by good works. And for those people that do evil, they're going to endure God's punishment. And again, if those were the only verses that I had to deal with, it would be very difficult to argue. This is why it's really important that you and I know our Bible. We know what we believe and why we believe it. As we parse through this passage of Scripture and find out what it really means, uh, first of all, when it comes to God, there's only two sides. There's obedience and disobedience. Verses 7 through 8 deal with that. If you, again, if you take a look here. To them who patient continuation and well-doing, doing what God has asked them to do, seek for glory and honor and immortality, the end result is eternal life. But to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. It's important to understand that when it comes to God, there's no middle of the road option here. Jesus himself makes it really clear. He who is with me is with me. He who is against me is against me. And if you're not with me, you're against me. And if you're not helping us to build the kingdom, you're scattering the kingdom. There's no like, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, but only just a little bit. Hey, I'm willing to follow God and obey God in the areas that are easy for me. Hey, I'm willing to obey God up to a certain point, but no further. That's never a biblical option. Jesus even gives the uh, criteria for discipleship, those who would be committed followers of Jesus. And he says this, if any man will follow after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three things that you have to do if you intend to follow Christ. And again, Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. So again, the idea that you and I can be marginal Christians when we feel like it. I'm going to be a Christian when it's convenient for me. Uh, my grandmother's in the hospital. I want to be a Christian and I want to pray. Uh, man, I'm looking at losing my job or I'm looking at uh, you know, being up for promotion. I'm going to pray because it's convenient for me. It's very difficult when I must change my heart because God requires it of me. So it's not a matter of being a cultural Christian. It's not a matter of being a Christian when it's convenient for you. God basically lines out in, the, in this passage and all throughout the rest of Scripture as well. There's one side. You're either going to follow God or you're not. Well, I kind of want to follow God. Then you're not. Again, there's, there's only two buckets to put this in. And if you say, I don't really want to follow God, or I don't want to follow God like to a hardcore extent, then you're putting yourself in the only other bucket that exists, which is, I do not want to follow God. My, my, my son Thatcher is very indecisive. As a child, he was super indecisive. We'd take him to a store and say, hey, pick out any candy bar that you want before we, we check out. And we're standing at the checkout line and the parents know how this goes. They're down to the last item scan and the kid's sitting over there at the candy bar section like, ah, oh, I don't know what to do. It's just like, they'll pick one up and they'll put it back and it's just like, ah. Oh. And then they'll, they'll grab something and it's always one of those like, looks like a baby bottle full of like powder with the sucker on the top. It's just like, is that really what you want? I'm like, oh, I don't know. And just like, uh, that was stature. And I always told him, hey, look, choose 
or I'll choose for you. Those are your only two options. And, and so he's like, oh, I don't know. I can't make a choice. Okay, then I'm going to choose for you, right? Uh, it's so indecisive. Uh, and so it was so stressful for him, too, because you could see it all over his face. He's like, oh. But God's kind of the same way. Hey, choose to follow me. I'm not really sure if I want to. Okay, then I've made the choice for you. You're not going to follow me. But so many times Christians feel like there's like a middle option. Like, hey, I want to follow God, but I don't want to like go like all in. I want to follow God, but I don't. I still want to hang on to the things that this world has to offer. And unfortunately, that's not an option. Again, if Jesus says in Luke chapter eleven, verse number twenty-three, "He that's not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth," it boils down to two really simple choices. You're either helping the cause of Christ, or you're hurting the cause of Christ. And again, it's a sobering reality. I'm either advancing the kingdom of God or I'm hurting the work of the kingdom of God. And especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves Christ followers, to call yourself a Christian and to live precisely like the world only damages the testimony of the cause of Christ. And so... We're really left with two options. We'll either serve the gods of this world or we'll serve the one true living God. Only two options available. And again, when we think of the gods of this world, we don't bow down to statues or idols or things like that like like some other religions might do. But many times there's things in our lives that we want more than we want God. I want money more than God. I want status more than God. I want people to think well of me more than I want God. I want to pursue an education at the expense of my walk with God. I want to take this job, which is going to take me away from the things of God. I'm willing to commit to this particular uh, hobby or whatever that's going to take away from my time that I can devote to the kingdom. And we make choices every single day whether we're going to keep God in his rightful place as God or whether we'll replace him with something that can never satisfy. I was reading through the book of Isaiah um, this past week, and in Isaiah chapter 44, God actually makes a mockery of the other gods. He says, it's interesting that carpenters cut down trees and they carve out statues, but that same tree that they cut down, they use for fire to get themselves warm, and they use that same wood to cook their food with. He says, it's interesting that when the carpenter cuts down a tree, he has to make a decision. Hmm, am I going to cook my food with this or am I going to make a God with it? And it's just like, it, and God's also, he, he's being sarcastic in the fact of like these gods that you create cannot save, they cannot satisfy. And look, it doesn't matter how much money in the world you have, it will never be enough. No matter how much status you have, it'll never be enough. Uh, that change of address that you're thinking is going to make all the difference in the world, it's not going to be enough unless you put God back in his rightful place. Joshua chapter 24, Joshua had a heart-to-heart with the children of Israel and said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Hey, at some point you're going to have to make a a decision. Some of us grew up in a Christian home where your parents took you to church every single Sunday and told you you're going to be in church, you're going to go to team Bible study, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And then there came a point in life where you had to make a big boy, big girl decision for yourself. Am I going to follow after this or not? And we kind of come to a crossroads many times in life. Hey, am I, am I going to play church for the rest of my life or am I truly going to follow God with every fiber of my being? I highly encourage you, stop playing around with God. Stop dabbling in the things of God. Stop making God an extracurricular activity. Make him the center of your life and you will find everything that your heart craves. Guaranteed. And so we see there's really only two options here. Either you'll follow God or you won't. Christians who think that they can live for the world and live for Jesus are fooling themselves. It's actually dishonoring to God. 
after everything that God has done for you and I, after everything that God has been gracious with for you and I, for us to go and choose between God and this world and say, hey, I think I'd rather have the things of this world. It's dishonoring to God. And I can only fathom how God would feel. Man, I've given you everything. I've held nothing good back from you. If you've ever needed anything, you've always had it. I've always supplied all of your needs. Yet, you want to turn your back on me and chase after the things of the world. It's foolishness. I can tell you that it's empty. There's a time in my life, again, when I was a young single adult that I chased after the things of this world. My wife and I, when we first got married, were chasing after the things of this world, what the world would call success. My God was materialism. I felt like the more stuff that I got, the more accomplished I would feel and the better I would feel about myself. But I only found that the more stuff I bought, the more unhappy that I was. And it was foolishness. And I can only fathom God up in heaven going, really, Anthony, I've given you everything that you'll ever possibly need and all you want is a different car? All you want is a nicer vacation? All you want is a new sectional and dining room table? Really? And, and again, when we look at it in that light, we see the foolishness of it. But when we're caught up in the things of this world, it just kind of makes sense. Hey, God's out there somewhere, I'm sure, but man, this thing is right here in front of me. Yeah, I might disappoint some guy in the sky, but I deserve to be happy today. And again, that thought process is short-sighted, it's foolish, it's damaging, it's destructive. Because the Bible tells us that God isn't a guy in the sky in some distant universe. God is ever-present and with us. That when I make choices on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit of God is with me at all times. And I can grieve the Holy Spirit of God when I choose the things of this world over the things of God. Either you'll love the things of this world or you'll love the things of God, but you can't do both. James chapter 4, verse number 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God, means makes you an enemy of God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. First John chapter 2, verse number 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So again, when we chase after the things of this world, it's a fool's errand. It just doesn't end well. When Christians chase after the things of this world and neglect God, we simply show our spiritual immaturity and the fact that we don't really see God for who he is. There comes a point where we must see God as more valuable, more worthy than the things that this world has to offer. Uh, John Stoker preached an outstanding message last Sunday night on Cain's offering and Cain's lingering at the door of sin. And one of the statements that he made was so profound, I've been I've just been meditating on it all week long, that the offering that we bring to God is a reflection of our view of his worthiness. Is God worthy of your life? I would say yes. I think most of the people in the room would say, yeah, absolutely. Do you live this past week? Did you live this past week? with the fact that he's worthy? Or was it kind of an afterthought? Or was it something that just didn't crack your top 10 priorities on a given day? I want to encourage you to desire more of God, to desire to walk with God to a greater degree, to walk in holiness and righteousness, to not get caught up in the garbage that this world has to offer because it's all a facade. It's all a mirage. It's all an illusion. It's not real. These things don't last. Pursue Christ. I guarantee you'll never be disappointed. And so again, we see really kind of two sides of the road that we can choose here. But as we look through this, again, it can be kind of confusing if we were just to take a look at verses 7 and 10 here uh, in, in our text and say, hey, is Paul really saying that we can get eternal life by being good? 
And if you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that this idea of doing good and going to heaven are just at odds with all of the Bible. They just are. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've broken God's law and you have too. That makes us sinners. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says because we've sinned against God, we deserve God's punishment. Hey, you do the crime, you do the time. The crime, sin against God. The time, death, and hell for all of eternity. That's what we deserve. So, you and I, because we've broken God's law, we deserve to go to hell. That's our punishment. And if you die in your sin, on your own, you'll spend eternity in hell. Period. No second chances, no getting out. Not enough people in the world that can pray you out of there, give enough money, do enough religious works to get you out. It's, it's done. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God doesn't want you to go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want you to die. God doesn't want you to go to hell. So God, in his mercy... His grace and his love for you and I sent his son Jesus to die in our place. I was supposed to die. Jesus died for me. I was supposed to endure God's punishment. Jesus was punished in my place. I was supposed to pay for my sins. But Jesus paid for my sins and yours in full by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what the cross means to us as Christians. It's the place where the payment for my sin was made. And Jesus died for my sins, and Jesus died for yours. But here's the most important thing in the world. You have to be willing to receive that gift that God offers you. You receive it by faith and repentance. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. I recognize my standing before God. I'm turning away from my sin. And I'm asking God to save me because he's the only one that can. If you would be willing to believe that in your heart and actually confess it to God with your mouth, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say that you could be saved. Saved from what? Saved from punishment? Saved from hell? Saved from death? Saved to a new life, saved to a new family where God is your father. And Jesus even goes so far in John chapter 3, verse number 3, to say this, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So again, that's really important. You must be saved to go to heaven. If you're here today and you're like, I'm not really sure if I'm saved or not. You need to get saved today. It's not about joining this church. It's not about becoming a Baptist. It's not about being baptized or going through a catechism process or anything like that. You don't have to take any classes. It's about coming to grips with where you stand with God and making sure that your sins are forgiven. Now, oftentimes I'll ask people the question, hey, has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? And they say, well, I'm not really sure what that means. And I say, well, let me ask you this question in a different way. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? Well, I'm 50% sure, I'm 90% sure. Sometimes people say, I'm 100% sure. And I'll ask a follow-on question for those that are 100% sure. How do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And there's only one right answer to this. Jesus Christ is my Savior, and he has died for my sins and paid for my debt. That's the only acceptable answer. But as you can imagine, people give differing answers. I'm a really good person is probably the one that I hear the most. I'm a good person. I try to do the right thing. I try to help other people that are in need. And if, if man, if anybody can get to heaven, it's going to be me because I try to do good. The problem with that is, is that we can't do enough good to outweigh the bad that we've done. And again, if the law is the law and there are consequences for the law and you've broken the law... Everything else is, is immaterial. For example, imagine this. I get a speeding ticket on the freeway. I'm driving, man, I'm driving 65 and a 55. I get pulled over. They light me up. They write me a ticket. I go before the judge. I plead my case before the judge. 
Mr. King, were you driving 65 and a 55? Yes, sir. Why? I wasn't paying attention, sir. Okay. Uh, well, here's your fine. Hold up. Before you give me that fine, I want you to hear something. I'm a really good person. Thank you, Mr. King. No, no, no. Wait, I'm not done yet. I go to church every single Sunday. Thank you very much, sir. No, I'm not done yet. I try to help other people. Is this going to have any bearing on whether or not I'm guilty or innocent? None whatsoever. Is it going to make a difference with the, the, the sentence that I receive? Probably not. Now, again, I know that people can make, you know, statements on behalf of character and stuff like that for people that have been found guilty for a lesser sentence and stuff like that. But, hey, look, you and I, our good works have no bearing with our eternal destination. Heaven or hell doesn't really matter at all. But if someone were to just grab a snippet of Scripture, like verse number 7, hey, to them by patient continuance and well-doing, doing good things, seek for glory and honor and immortality, what do they get? They get eternal life. This seems to go against the idea that you, can, you can't earn your way to heaven. Because this says, hey, for people who live and do right, they'll get eternal life. But for those who do evil, they'll receive God's punishment. And so is there contradictions with what the Bible says here? And so again, these are real questions that you and I will have to wrestle with as we share our faith with other people. So, well, there's a lot of contradictions in the Bible. Hey, show them to me. Let's talk through those. And let me just tell you this. Because the Bible is the Word of God, it is perfect and it is without error from cover to cover. Take it to the bank. It's perfect. It's good guaranteed. There are no contradictions in the Bible. Are there paradoxes in the Bible? For sure. For example, what? Jesus says, in heaven, the last will be first, and the first will be last. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it's not a contradiction. It would just be what we call a paradox. But verses like this cause us to scratch our head and say, wait a minute. Again, verse number 10, take a look at that. But glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good. So what do we do with verses like this? Again, we have to take a look at totality of Scripture. Is Paul saying here that good works can save us? Absolutely not. Paul's not saying that. The only people who have the capacity to do good are those who have been saved. You don't have the capacity to be a good person. I'm just going to break it down for you. You, me, we are not good people. Amen. And, and again, it's hard for many people to grasp. No, I really am. I'm a good person. Uh, if you ever have some time and want to go down to the YouTube rabbit hole, uh, Way of the Master by uh, Ray Comfort. He's uh, basically a, an evangelist that goes around and does kind of like man-on-the-street interviews with people and says, oh, uh, do you consider yourself a good person? We'll ask people these questions. They'll say, yeah, I consider myself a good person. And one of the absolutely incredible things that he does is he uses the Ten Commandments, which, again, were never meant for you and I to keep them, to be perfect. They were meant to show us that we can't, even on our best day, keep all of God's rules, even if it was just ten of them. Now, if you read through the Bible, there's a lot more than Ten Commandments. There's literally thousands of them. But if we were just going to boil it down to ten of them, could you keep those? And he begins to ask questions like, hey, have you, do you consider yourself a good person? And people say yes. And he said, well, you know, have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Well, yeah. Well, what do you call a person who takes things that don't belong to them? Uh, you call them a thief. Have you ever told a lie before? Well, yeah, everybody's told a lie. Okay, what does that make you? That makes you a liar. So again, two out of ten commandments, you already have admitted that you are a lying thief. Uh, you know, have you ever used God's name as a curse word before? Yes. Uh, or said, oh my, and used God's name? Yes, that's blasphemy, taking the Lord's name in vain. So three out of ten commandments, you are a lying, thieving blasphemer. And it begins to just like go down the list. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever committed adultery, but Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's committed adultery already in his heart. So I'm not going to ask you if you've done that. I'm just going to automatically assume you're like every other person on planet Earth. You're a lying, thieving, blaspheming adulterer. And just continues to like, man, 
go down the list. Uh, have you ever taken something and put it in place of God before? Yes, that makes you an idolater, lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterous idolater. You're 50% of the way through. And he kind of says, do you want to continue to go through this? And people are like, nope, I'm done, you know. Because again, we realize in light of God's standard, we're not good people. We're just not. Again, out of 10 commandments, you and I have broken 10 out of 10. And so in light of, am I better than that guy across the street? Maybe, maybe not, but that's not the, the judgment call that we make. Am I meeting God's expectation? And the answer to that is no. And generally people think like hell is reserved for bad people, right? Bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven. I would venture to say that that's an okay assumption, <laughs> but here's the idea. We overestimate our own goodness and we fail to realize we are the bad people. I'm the bad guy. And if hell is, is made for bad people, I deserve to go there because I'm not good. I don't have the capacity to do good on my own. I can try for a little while to fake it until I make it. But when you turn over a new leaf, it's only a matter of time before the wind blows and your leaf turns right back over. I don't know if you've ever... Uh, um, nobody in this room has probably ever gone on a diet before, but I've gone through. If there's a diet to be had, I've done it. I'm just telling you. you know, I'm going to eat nothing but salad for the rest of my life. How many days does that last? About a day and a half, you know. I'm only going to eat meat for the rest of my life. No more bread, no more sugar, no more sweets, you know. And it's great to eat bacon and steak for like three days, but then it's just like, wait a minute, I have to eat a burger with wrapped in lettuce? No, thank you. And so I make it like three days in that. Why? Because we can't bring about lasting change on our own. We're not good, and I can't decide to one day just be good. So again, the idea here that those who do good will have eternal life, the only people who have the capacity to do good are those who have Christ in them. Again, uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse number 18, when someone called Jesus good teacher, Jesus says, why callest me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. So Jesus himself says, you and I, not good. Like a lot of different adjectives you could use to describe who you and I are, good is not one of them. And so now when Paul says those who do good have eternal life, it's not you and I who can just decide to do better this week. Can we be saved through doing good? Nope. Our flesh has nothing good to offer. Paul, again, when we get a little bit further in Romans chapter 7, verse number 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present in me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Hey, Paul says, in me, my flesh, there's nothing good here. And he goes so far as to say in verse number 18, Romans chapter 7, verse number 18, I know what I want to do, and I really, really want to do the right thing. To will is present in me. But how to do good, like, I can't carry it out on my own flesh. Friend, you can't just knuckle up and defeat your sin on your own. You don't have the power to do it. You can't just knuckle up and make a change. You don't have the power to do it. Again, there's been so many times I've been on a diet and I'm sitting watching my family eat pizza and it's just like, ah. And then I think to myself, well, one slice is not as bad as 12 slices, so I'll just have like a slice, right? I know what I want to do, but I'm just powerless. And again, your diet and what kind of food you eat and things like that is one thing. We're talking about our sinful condition. You can't just one day wake up and say, I'm done with sin. I'm going to say no to it in my own power. You, you can't do that. Paul, who we, we consider probably one of the greatest Christians to ever live, wrote uh, the majority of the New Testament, or a good portion of the New Testament. Paul says, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just don't have the power to do it in my own flesh. And so again, the idea that a sinner like you and I can just do good and inherit eternal life is contrary to the rest of everything that the Bible has to say. 
Does Paul say that we can get, get eternal life through doing good? No, our good works are filthiness to God. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 6, verse number, I'm sorry, Isaiah 64, verse number 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The word filthy rags there doesn't mean just like dirty rags like you and I would think of. And again, I'm not trying to be graphic or crude. I just want to help you understand what the Bible is saying here. The term filthy rags was a, 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 a word that was used for menstrual garments for a woman for that time of the month. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, basically that was just like an absolute no-no. It was off, off limits. It was considered uh, unclean. Blood automatically was considered unclean. And so you and I are basically, all the good that we can perform is filth in the sight of God. You and I on our best day, like, hey, I don't need God. I can be good. And God's just like, uh-uh, that's, that's foul before me. I don't want any part of that, God says. So again, the idea that you and I can just be good and go to heaven as a result of it is contrary to the rest of Scripture. Again, is Paul saying we can do good and get eternal life? No. We cannot be justified by the works of the flesh. The word justified is a beautiful Bible word. It means to be declared righteous. It's a judicial term. It's a legal term that's used to determine your guilt or innocence before God. And here's the beauty of justification. The Bible says that we have sinned against God so that when God looks at us, again, from a legal perspective, we are guilty, guilty, guilty. We are clothed in our own sin. When God sees our sin, he has no choice but to judge our sin, punish it. But God sent his son Jesus to die in our place and to die for our sins. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins, the day that you were born again, and if you've never been born again, I pray that today would be that day for you. The day that you're born again, what happens is you take your sin off of you and you place it upon Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ takes his righteousness and places it upon you. So that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin any longer because your sin has been placed on Jesus. He sees your righteousness, which is not your righteousness, it's the righteousness that belongs to Jesus. So in a legal standing, you are declared not sinful, but you are declared righteous. And there's no penalty for righteousness, there's only blessing for that. Now, there's a problem with this because my sin was placed on Jesus, and sin has to be punished, has to. So that's why Jesus had to die. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, he who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's sometimes referred to as the great exchange. My sin placed upon Jesus Christ. His righteousness placed upon me. That when God sees me, he sees me as perfectly righteous. And I'm declared righteous in the eyes of God from a legal standing. So again, if I'm declared sinful, there's punishment. There's consequences. If I'm declared righteous, there's nothing but blessings that come from that. And we are justified, again, the word justified, legal standing, it literally means, the word justified literally means right clothing. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not clothed in my own sin. But we're not justified by the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, doing good things or obeying the commandments, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified, declare righteous, how? By the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So again, again, you look at this, you're like, well, that's what, well, Paul says in Romans, you know, that you, you can be good and get eternal life. 
the same Paul that wrote the book of Romans also wrote the book of Galatians. <laughs> and Paul is, uh, if, if he needs some clarification, again, with the rest of Scripture, Paul's saying, the works of the flesh will not save you. Obeying the commandments will not save you. The only thing that will save you, according to Galatians chapter 2, verse number 16, is faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And if I haven't been clear up to this point, I want to be ridiculously clear right now. There is no way to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. John chapter 14, verse number 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's Jesus who said that. And so there's no way to be declared righteous. There's no way to make it to heaven. There's no way to have your sins forgiven apart from Jesus Christ. Well, what about XYZ Church? They cannot save you from your sins. Well, I got baptized one time when I was a kid, or I got baptized when I was in college. Baptism does not save you. Well, my grandma told me that I was saved. Your grandma doesn't have the power to save you. Only Jesus does. Are you sure that you're saved? Are you sure that you're born again? Because you cannot trust in your own goodness. It doesn't measure up to God's standards. Romans chapter 3, verse number 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Hey, once you know the rules, you realize that you've broken the rules, right? I don't know if you've ever had a chance to watch rugby on TV. I love watching rugby because I have no idea what's going on, right? It's almost like football, but like when a guy gets tackled, he like stands up and throws the ball to somebody else, and they keep running. And it's like, what is going on here? This is so much fun. Uh, and so I would be terrible at rugby because why? I don't know the rules, right? I'm just going to grab the ball, like take off running. You know, I don't even know what I'm doing. You ever watch kids play Little League Baseball before? You know, they, they hit the ball and they like run, start running towards the, the fence in the back. And you're like, no, 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 turn, 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 you know. And you tell them, stop, don't come any further, you know. I, re I remember when I first started playing baseball as a kid, you know, you, you hit, hit the ball and you fly out to left field and you just keep running the bases because nobody's chasing you. You know? You're like, you're already out, you know. <laughs> you don't know how bad it is until you know the rules. That's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 3. The law shows you that you've been out of bounds this whole time. You've never been playing according to the rules. You can't be good enough to earn eternal life. And the works of the flesh are anything but good. Galatians chapter 5 is an incredible, incredible uh, passage of Scripture. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, every Christian should commit those to memory. I probably quote him uh, in this church probably, I don't know, a half dozen times a month here. I, I like checklists. I like to know if I'm on track. Uh, you know, when we go on trips, I have a checklist that I use when I'm packing and stuff like that because I want to make sure I've covered all my bases. Galatians 5, and 23 tell you whether or not you've covered all your bases with being filled with the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Here's the beauty of that. If you follow and walk in the Spirit, the things that it produces, we don't need rules and guidelines to live by because we're living by love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit's at work in you and I. You and I can't produce love and joy and peace and long-suffering on our own. It just doesn't happen. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit, which, again, the Holy Spirit is only inside of you if you are a child of God and you've been saved or born again. But the works of the flesh, Galatians 5 outlines those as well. So, again, the idea that you and I, in our flesh, can produce good works flies in the face of everything else that we find in Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. The word manifest means they're obviously on display for everyone to see. What are they? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Here's what the works of the flesh will get you. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Crystal clear here. <laughs> 
in case you've been asleep for, for any of this passage of Scripture that we looked at, Paul makes it ridiculously clear here that the works of your flesh will keep you from going to heaven. They don't earn you a spot in heaven. The works of your flesh keep you from going to heaven. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, the idea that you and I can be good enough to go to heaven or that seeking after good things gives us eternal life could not be further from the truth. So then the question is, well, what does Paul mean by that then? If it doesn't mean that we can get eternal life by doing these good things, what does he actually mean? Well, first of all, we need to understand that our only capacity to do good comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in every believer. Now again, for the sake of clarity, when the day that you got saved, the day that you were born again, being born again or saved are the same thing, they're synonymous. The day you got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. Automatic. You didn't have to pray for it. You didn't have to wait for it. Nobody had to lay hands on you. You automatically received the Holy Spirit. And again, we'll get to this a little bit later in Romans. But Paul says, if any man have not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. So, really simple. If you have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're saved. Equally as simple. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you are not saved. Again, very black and white. So if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now you have the capacity. Now you have the ability to produce good works. Again, not in your own power, but because the Spirit of God resides inside of you. Good works will be evident in the lives of genuine believers. Now again, that sounds like a really simple statement, but there's a lot to unpack there. Good works will automatically be on display for those that are true Christians. Now, when you say true Christians, does that mean that there can be false or fake Christians? Absolutely. You say, well, that's pretty harsh, Pastor. I didn't say it. Jesus said in that, in that day, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And I'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There will be people who do good things and, and even pray and go to church and uh, do good works that the day that they see Jesus, they will be cast into hell because they were never born again. They didn't belong to Jesus to begin with. So one of the evidences that we see of genuine faith is good works. Again, when you look through the New Testament, you read the, the New Testament from cover to cover, you'll never find evidence of someone being a Christian because they prayed a prayer. There's no sinner's prayer in all of the New Testament. Again, you can believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Romans chapter 10 says that. But evidence of a changed life was always the indication that someone had been born again. Because again, the whole connotation of being born again is that there's a new life that begins. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So someone who prays a prayer but nothing in their life ever changes, you have to ask yourself the question, is that person a genuine believer and follower of Christ? Now again, you and I, it's not our job to determine who is and who isn't. Nobody knows whether or not anybody's saved aside from that person and God. I don't know that you're saved. I mean, you can tell me that you are and tell me about your experience. But I should be able to look at your life and see the fruit of a genuine believer. Again, if you call yourself a Christian, you have a foul mouth, you get drunk on the weekends, you smoke weed, you listen to garbage music, watch filthy television shows, and you're hanging out with all of your unsaved friends after work, I look at that and I say, I don't see a lot of change between the world and the life that Christ has called us to. Now again, I'm not going to say that person's not a Christian. I would say if you're a Christian, you should start putting out better fruit. Because good works will be evidence in the life of genuine believers. And again, that's not my statement. That's a biblical statement. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 17 and 18, so every tree, good tree, bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. And so it's a matter of if you're putting off crummy fruit, maybe the tree itself is crummy. That's what Jesus said. Now again, Christians get themselves into trouble when we begin inspecting other people's fruit. We were never called to be fruit inspectors. We were called to inspect our own fruit. Do I see good fruit in my life? Do I have a desire for the things of God? Do I see spiritual fruit in my life? If you're married or if you have children, it is your job to examine the fruit of your spouse or your children and say, hey, I don't see a lot of good fruit here. Help me understand where you're at. Hey, babe, I noticed you haven't been reading your Bible lately. Is everything good? Hey, I noticed when we were in church, you were kind of on your phone, and you are kind of checked out and weren't really paying attention. Is everything okay? It's okay to have conversations like that. If you have a good Christian friend who you can keep accountable, and you can say, hey, do you see anything in my life that's not right? Would you help me with that? Those are helpful. But when you and I just begin to look around at other people and go, yeah, that guy right there, probably not a Christian. That guy over there, he's a carnal Christian. That, that lady, she's, man, I was around her, and I guarantee she's not saved. That's not our place to make those type of judgment calls. We need to look in the mirror, and we need to look deep in our own hearts and say, do I desire the things of God? Do I want to live for God, or is the world more attractive to me? These good works don't constitute an earning of salvation, but are evidence of a salvation already given. (laughs) Stay with me for just a second and hear this. You might need to put your thinking cap on to receive this statement that I'm getting ready to give you. I don't do good works so that I will be saved. I do good works because I am already saved. Say that again. I don't do good works to become saved. I do good works because I am already saved. My good works flow out of a heart of love and adoration and worship for my heavenly Father. My good works uh, are come from a desire that when I stand before God one day, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home, son. I'm glad you're here. Those are the words that I want to hear. Therefore, that motivates me to live a life of good works. I don't do good works because I hope maybe one day I might possibly make it to heaven. And again, False religion is built upon the idea of you and I building up this storehouse of merit with God. That maybe when we get to heaven, he's going to put everything on a scale and one outweighs the other, and then maybe we'll make it there if we're not too bad. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. And so Paul's saying here, for those that follow after good works who obviously are those who are saved, your end result, your end blessing is eternal life. For those, verse number 10, for those that desire glory and honor and peace for every man that worketh good, your, your, your end results, the fruit that you get is glory, honor, and peace with God because of your good works, because of your salvation already. So again, there's no disconnect. There's no uh, contradiction here in this passage of Scripture. Christians will do good works, and the end result of us living a Christian life is the end is blessing and peace and, and the glory of God together with Him in eternity in heaven. But what about those who aren't Christians? Well, all sin will be punished. Take a look at verses 8 and 9. Unto them that are contentious, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. What comes for them? Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Now again, we can look at this with a a proud spirit at verse number 9 and go, yeah, all those people that do evil, man, God's going to get them. (laughs) Be careful. 
you and I in our flesh are those people. You and I deserve God's tribulation and anguish and wrath. That's me. That's you. Those that do evil, that's us before we met Jesus. And unfortunately, for some Christians who have decided to chase after the things of this world, that's talking about Christians who have left God and chased after the gods of this world, those who do evil. All all sin will be punished. Now, again, we don't have time to to get through this today, so if you want to make notes out in the margin of your notes uh, to write down the words, punishment versus chastisement, you can unpack that later. Punishment is God's wrath. Chastisement is his loving correction on his children. But please understand this. God does not play around with sin ever under any circumstances whatsoever. You cannot continue to sin against God and get away with it. Because God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. Because God is just, he can't turn a blind eye to sin for any reason. Oh, you're a child of God. It's okay now that you just continue to sin. No problem. Not a big deal. That's not a biblical concept. Let me, again, make things very, very clear for you. If you are a child of God and you've been born again, you cannot lose your salvation. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. It's by the grace of God alone that you are saved. And you're saved for the rest of your life regardless of what you do. What if I don't come back to church? You're still saved. What if I fall into sin? You're still saved. You're just a rebellious child who needs to get right with their dad. But what if, you know, I decide I don't want to be a Christian anymore? You can do anything you want, but God says he's going to keep your soul until the day of redemption. That's a Bible promise. And so sometimes people who disagree with what that doctrine that's referred to as eternal security of the believer, which is a biblical doctrine, by the way, they say, well, if that's the case, then you can just sin all you want and get away with it. You can just sin as much as you want to, and there's no consequences for it. That couldn't be further from the truth. Now, you won't lose your salvation. You won't go to hell. But, again, if you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 12 deals with chastisement of the Christian. Hey, any good parent's not going to let their kid continue to misbehave and get away with it. You're going to jerk a knot in their tail. And you're going to say, you need to knock it off and get your act together. Not because I'm mad Not because I don't love you, but I'm doing this because I love you. Because what you're doing is destructive. That's the chastisement of God. But the idea that that anybody, Christian or non-Christian, child of God or not, can just continue to sin and get away with it just isn't true. The unbeliever, those who are not saved, verse number five in our text says that they're treasuring up wrath against wrath. You're just piling up more and more and more punishment as the days go by if you're not a child of God. God's final punishment for sin is death and hell. One of the most terrible passages of Scripture in all the Bible is Revelation chapter 20. And all those whose names were not written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's the worst thing in all of the Bible. At the end of time, all those without Christ will be cast into hell, and there are no second chances. It is done eternal death forever. That's God's final punishment on sin. Until then, God's going to continue to punish the sinner. God will continue to chastise his children because he does not give a pass for sin. Again, the Jews thought they had a special pass. The Jews' covenant relationship with God is not enough to spare them from coming judgment. Again, verse number 9, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Hey, if you're a Jew, you're getting wrath. (laughs) If you're not a Jew, you're getting wrath too. And so again, he's letting the Jewish believers here know, you don't get a special pass to heaven because you're a Jew. All sin will be punished. Again, verse number um, 6 who render to every man according to their deeds. Uh, Verse number 11, for there is no respect of persons with God. Look, God doesn't care what your last name is. He doesn't care who your, your grandma was. He doesn't care who your dad was. He doesn't care what your nationality is. He doesn't care what part of the world you grew up in. 
God is not a respecter of persons. If you've broken his law, there's only punishment coming unless you put your faith in Jesus. So the Jews were like, hey, we got special privilege. We don't need this. And God says, yeah, you can skip to the head of the line. That's for sure. You're offered salvation first, but you're also offered wrath first too. Again, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, which John spoke about this morning, that Jesus came into the Jews. He came into his own, and his own received him not. And so then Jesus came to the Gentiles. Man, the Jews were the first ones on God's list to save. They rejected Christ as the Messiah. They're no longer saved. But now the gift of salvation is secondly offered to non-Jews like you and I. But when it comes time to dole out punishment, you know who also gets to go to the head of the line? The Jews. Hey, look, you've had every opportunity from the beginning of biblical history to make things right with God, and you've continued to rebel. Come to the head of the line to receive your punishment. So again, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Again, if we back up to Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Unto who? The Jew first and also to the Greek. So again, they have a special covenant relationship with God, but it does not save them from the punishment to come for sin. Four final thoughts, and we're totally done. I want to cruise through these really quickly. Universal sin for all mankind creates a universal need for a Savior. Because everybody has sinned, everybody needs a Savior. You say, well, I don't know if I need a Savior or not. I promise you, you do. Have you ever broken God's law even once? If the answer to that is yes, you need a Savior. The book of James tells us, if any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. And so a universal sin problem creates a universal need for a Savior. And that means this, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody. There's not a person on planet Earth that does not know Jesus, does not need Jesus. So, let's think about this for a second. Those of us in this room that know Jesus, you've been saved, you've been born again, you know where eternal life is. There's hundreds of thousands of people in our city that need Jesus. How are they going to find him? Well, they're just going to bump into him? Well, I was driving by that church, and I think I might stop in. Jesus had a better plan for this that he gave it to us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You've got to go and tell people about Jesus, because everybody needs him. Well, I know, but I, I tried to invite my coworker to work, but he doesn't realize his need for Jesus. Good, keep praying for him and keep working on him. You know, some of the, the most difficult people to reach for Jesus are those who don't need anything. Hey, I got my career, I got my family, I got a house, I got money. I don't really have a need for Jesus. Oh, no, you do. The things of this world don't satisfy. Really? <laughs> I was out on my 40-foot boat on the water on this past weekend. <laughs> I think I uh, got life figured out. Just bought a brand new car sitting in the garage. I think I got life figured out. I don't really need it. That's why the Bible says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven because they don't see their need for anything. But they need Jesus. How are they going to find him? We have to make him known. So that's our job every week of the world is to tell people about Jesus and to make him known. When it comes to our salvation, all of our works are worthless to God. The only thing that you can bring to your salvation is faith and repentance. That's it. God doesn't want you to clean up your act. Again, that's why I love the song that we sang this morning. Just as I am is how Jesus accepts me. Hey, I think maybe I need to clean up my act and then come to Jesus. No, 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 no. He doesn't want your good works. He doesn't want you to get a fresh haircut or buy Sunday clothes or get yourself a really big Bible to carry to church. He just wants you to come like you are because you have nothing, hear this in a loving way. You have nothing that impresses God. God is not drawn to your loveliness. God is drawn to your 
weakness. The Bible says, get this, and again, for people who are full of themselves, this is going to hurt you. But I want to hurt you to help you. How about that? God has pity on you. God feels sorry for you. So again, the idea that you and I can come to God and he's like, oh, finally I get Anthony King. Like, man, this is what I've been waiting for. Like, this guy, finally in the kingdom. No, God looks at me and goes, oh, wow, what a wreck you are. Man, you're a mess, but God's the type of God that's just like, I do my best work with messes. That's who God is. And so again, the only thing that you can bring to God is faith and repentance. And friend, if you've never been born again, today is your opportunity to be saved by the grace of God. And final thought today, genuine faith will bring about genuinely good works. The book of James tells us, faith without works, man, it's dead. It's useless. James says, show me your faith without works. I'd love to see what that looks like. But I'll show you my faith by my works. So again, I don't, I don't work to obtain salvation. I do good works because I've already received salvation. So I encourage you today, take a look inside your heart this morning Again, if there's only two sides, walking with God or not, which side of the road are you on? The fruit that's coming from your tree, is it good fruit or is it corrupt fruit? Most important question you'll ever ask yourself in your entire life, do I know for sure that I've been saved? Am I sure that my sins are forgiven? If so, man, we have reason to praise God and we need to make Jesus known this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.